So let me give you a little bit of history of our church. I just uh, sense before we start today, I would just tell you some of the stories, just a little bit. You know, 31 years ago, Susie and I came um, to Oregon from Southern California. We were part of a Bible teaching, praying church, and we were sent out. I was a youth pastor there, and I had the wisdom to go to the women's prayer meeting because that women's prayer meeting was powerful, 100-plus women every week at lunchtime. And that particular day I went in, and the leader of the prayer meeting prophesied over me as we uh, came up. She says, I see a great armada, and this like little frail woman, I can still see her. She's gone on to be with the Lord, Carol McClure. She's pumping her arms. I see this armada shelling Corvallis. It's the prayers of the church here. And it's clearing out the enemy's stronghold. And you're going to be enabled to go and quickly set up what God is wanting to build there in Corvallis. And then she gave a prophecy that new and beautiful worship is going to flow from this church. And don't you know that strong prayer heritage, that's exactly what happened as this church went from 18 people in a senior center to a 1,000-person church. God grew this church. Well, let me tell you just a few stories. When we drove up, we were in an accident with a logging truck. All I can say was, in hindsight, it felt like a demonic gust of wind pushed Susie and I and our little baby girl, Lauren, under a, a logging truck, and the logging truck actually ran over the front of our car up to the windshield, and there was a, a highway patrol not too far back, and he came up immediately, helped direct traffic, and the first thing out of his mouth is he said, um, I, I want to tell you, people don't walk away from things like this. And then he said, I remember his exact next words, he said, somebody is watching out over you. And I was like, yeah, I, I know who it is. You know, we're going up to uh, start a church, and we came up, and the family that was hosting us, um, Saturday night, we had the very first Saturday night prayer meeting. We were shaken. And uh, the grandfather was kind of like a, almost, I, I don't say this in a disrespectful way, just a very scientific kind of mad scientist guy, you know, that, that uh, after the prayer meeting, he didn't pray much, but he said, I have a word for you. And I, I was like, wow, what, what's the word? And he says, Satan doesn't want you here, but God does. So that was 31 years ago, a prayer started. Uh, that next week at church, I told that story, and one of the couples in the church said, what time was that at you were in the accident? And I told him, and he, he said, Dennis said, Donna, tell him. Tell him, and Donna says, well, Dennis called me at that very hour. We were burdened to pray for your safety coming up. And just the power of prayer and being sensitive to the Spirit. And 31 years ago, that first Saturday night prayer, prayer meeting started, and now we're celebrating. I'm sorry, I said 31. We've been married 31. Um, Got to think that through. 28 years ago, we came up. And um, 28 years ago, that first prayer meeting started. And, um, and then uh, real life began. There was no college ministry here. There were no college students in our church. And nobody wanted to pray. And, and, and we prayed, and a little group of us prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and then that year came, maybe the second year we were here, that real life grew. I won't tell the longer story, but it grew from zero students to 160, 160 students in six weeks. And now we've experienced a 28-year revival at real life. Really, that's what it is. It's a 28-year revival that's come out of those prayer times. 
And of course, you're here on 50-some acres, and we prayed and prayed and prayed for a home, and God said, no, you can't go look, and no, you can't have a realtor, and no, you can't get a committee. It's either going to be you or me, and aren't you glad we didn't get ahead of the Lord? I always say, Lord, we would be happy with five acres of asphalt next to Safeway. I, I told this story at a pastor's conference once, and the guy came up to me, and he goes, we're on five acres next to a Safeway. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, we would have been happy with that too, but we're on 50-some acres with an amphitheater. Because that's what God had on his heart if we wouldn't get ahead of him. And then the first building on the a church was a prayer chapel that we're going to be in all week next week, the week of prayer and fasting in the mornings together. And then came the week of prayer and fasting, and we started. I remember one of the leaders saying to me, he said, Rob, what? You're calling the whole church to... 6 8 in prayer and noon and evening. And he just said, Rob, everybody is not where you're at. This is too much. And you know, that's hard when a leader speaks that way to you. And you want to, you know, not be a fool and not receive correction. But that's the sense was that's what obedience was. And that first year, revival break out, the prayer chapel. Oh, the. For 14 years, it's at 6 a.m. watching all the red taillights come down Lester all the way into the prayer chapel. And the mornings are unique as you're praying about it because they're so generational, packed with young people. And yet the older generation there, it's so, it's such a powerful time. Well, then the first week of prayer and fasting ended and, and the Lord said, don't stop the daily prayer meetings. Don't stop. And now there's everyday prayer meetings on Zoom or in person here at the church. And that brings us to where we're at, our message today. A little bit of history, a little bit of some of the stories. Lord, teach us to pray. And that uh, title is out of our text, Luke 11. We're, in, we're going through the book of Luke. And uh, just God saw fit that this would be our text. Uh, these great texts on prayer the next couple of weeks as we're uh, going into and coming out of the week of prayer and fasting. And let's read it together. Uh, Luke 11.1, 1, it'll be up on the overheads too. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So it's interesting that this uh, disciple asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting that he didn't say, teach us to preach the way you preach. Teach us to walk on water the way you walked on water. Man, I want to do that. Teach us to do miracles, to do healings, to multiply food. They, did, they didn't say any of that. They said, Lord, this disciple said, Lord, and I think it represented all the disciples, teach us to pray. That's where we see everything is flowing out of your life and ministry. And that is a correct assessment. That was the right thing to ask. Lord, teach us to pray. And why don't we just pray that right now? Why don't you pray it? Stop what you're doing. And why don't you look up and, and maybe look while you pray it, close your eyes while you pray it. Going into a new year, why don't you pray that? Lord, teach us to pray. 
And so he said to them, when you pray, say. And of course, now we're going to come to what is called the Lord's Prayer. Most of the world knows this portion of Scripture as how we're to pray. And notice he says, when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. Right? We went back to, we can go back to our teaching last week. In Matthew 6, he, uh, Jesus said, when you fast. Right? It's, it's not... It's not if you fast. You shouldn't be a believer and it's a question of if. Yeah, no, I've been a Christian 20 years. I've never fasted. No, it, it, it shouldn't be if you fast. That's to be part of the disciplines of your discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus, he fasted. You fast. It's a powerful, powerful part of prayer. And Jesus said some victories can only be won. You'll come up against some things that it's only fasting and prayer that's going to give you the victory. So it can't be if you fast. You need to live a life that it's when you're fasting. And we'll come back to our uh, chapter. He said to them, when you pray, right? John, uh, Lord, John's disciples, he taught them how to pray. We're your disciples. Will you teach us how to pray? So something we learn here is being a true disciple of Jesus. This discipleship means you learn about prayer. If you're discipling someone, you teach them to pray. You know, uh, what breath is to your body, prayer is to your spirit. What breath is to the physical man, prayer is to the spiritual man. So if you're discipling someone, you, a huge part of discipling them is praying with them, teaching them to pray. You know, in a sense, I'm discipling our whole church. And I'm discipling you very purposefully to be people that pray. And so we read, and, and you know when you study this prayer, our Father in heaven. Now, uh, this prayer is so profound, depending on what age you're at, depending on what culture you're in, depending on what your circumstances in life are, right? Your whole life you're going to only be able to see so much. If you're younger in the Lord, newer to the scriptures, then just the biggest things are so profound. And we often miss the things that are right there in front of us. For example, our Father in heaven, he doesn't, and I, I, think, I think more than half of my time pastoring, I didn't see this. Because I couldn't see it. All I can see is he's my father. Let's talk about God being our father. Let's talk about heaven. All I can see is heaven. He's our father. It's plural. At the very heart of the way that Jesus taught us to pray, he's teaches, you'll see it all through here. Give us this day our, it's not pray my father in heaven. Father, I got needs. Give me the, the provision I need. That's not how he teaches us. Of course we can pray to God individually. That's, that's, this is not forbidding that. But when he's teaching us how to pray, he's, he's teaching us to pray in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is community. We're saved to be in a community. We're saved we're part of a family. We're part of a body, right? A body that was only just, we were all a nose. Wouldn't be much 
body activity, just a lot of smelling. Right? You need all the thumbs and ankles and elbows and wrists and, and necks. And it's beautiful when every member does its share. Well, we're a family. We're a body. We're a spiritual temple. The Bible says every stone that you're in Christ, you're a living stone being built into a, um, a, a spiritual temple. So let, let's just say this as we understand this is talking about community and I think it's important to hear it. You're saved alone. But you're not saved to remain alone. You can't get saved just because you're part of the worship here. You can't get saved just because you're part of the prayer and fasting here. You can't be saved just because you're part of a team or a, you know, the sound team or a musician's group. The only way you can be saved is alone. You and God. Your eyes open to your sin, hindering you from knowing him. Your eyes open to that's why Jesus came to take the barrier of your sin out of the way so you could have fellowship with God. When that happens when your eyes open, when you then surrender to what Jesus did at the cross and your sins are paid for, you're saved. You come into the family of God. You're a living stone being built into a spiritual temple. You're, you become part of the body, but it has to happen alone. But you're not saved to remain alone. You're, you're saved to live in community. Anyone living alone is not healthy. We can be a Christian alone, we just can't be healthy alone. Oh, if we were in some situation where we were forced into isolation, then God would sustain us. But I think we all saw coming through COVID going, oh, yeah, yeah. It is, like it's, it, it's when God saw man and he saw that he was alone, God said, it's not good. I think going through COVID, when we realize all of us have to stay six feet apart from each other, you're like, oh, yeah, that is not good. This is not healthy. We, we were saved to be in community. He's our Father. And then that opens up just loving, Don Verdine, loving, caring, correcting, faithful. That's my dad. Gracious, provider. Maybe you think of your dad. Say, say his name on your lips. Not out loud, but just say it on your lips. It, it should be that that invokes he was a he was a good dad maybe imperfect but he was good he loved me he cared for me he provided he was faithful and then of course there's other that it invokes uh yeah yeah no 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 i'm not saying his name on my lips tyrant mean drunk physical or whatever, and it invokes just all kinds of images or completely blank. Yeah, I'm not saying that name. He's my paternal dad. That's it. And, you know, uh, I think in this day and age of um, computer software, we get these software updates. And I think if, if uh, your image of a father is a bad father, uh, image, you, you need a software update. You need to go through the Word so God can write 
in you the correct code of what is supposed to be there for Father. You're to let your heavenly Father show you who he is. He's wonderful. He's loving. He's caring. He's correcting. He's faithful. He's gracious. And on and on, he's our provider. Our Father who art in heaven. So this becomes our posture that we're to lift our eyes off of our circumstances, off other people. We're never healthy when our eyes are on other people. Comparing ourselves, perhaps, jealous. Oh, social media has just become wonderful for the sin of comparison and jealousy. But we're to get our eyes off of every circumstance, every other person when we pray on our Father who's in heaven. And we're to say, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. And this becomes the basis for the gospel. The God we're worshiping is holy, 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 holy. The angels sing whenever we see the throne of God in Scripture. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He, he went to God is a holy God. He dwells in light, and there's no darkness in him at all. And your darkness and your sin is separating you from a holy God. That's why Jesus came. He went to the cross to pay for all of your sin, that it might be blotted out, that you might be in fellowship with a holy God, a holy, loving God. But that sin problem is the, the problem. As believers, we cry out, we recognize you're holy. Holy, 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 Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. You're our Father. Your kingdom come. So as believers, we're aware that a kingdom is coming. So you go all the way back to the Old Testament, and all through the scriptures comes this theme of the coming kingdom, that there is the kingdom of God coming. And back in the book of Daniel, the king Nebuchadnezzar, way back to the Old Testament, he had a vision, and he saw this stone, a massive stone, and it was coming. It was not cut with hands, this was no uh, invention of humans. And it struck the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of this world, and just pulverized man's kingdoms. And then Nebuchadnezzar saw, and of course Daniel gave him the interpretation, Daniel saw that stone grow into a mountain that filled the whole earth. Well, that's coming Jesus is coming. That's what the book of Revelation is about. His kingdom is coming. Listen to what heaven is crying out in the book of Revelation when the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation 11. It's going to happen. We, when we pray, we're always to be aware it's going to happen. This is our future. This is the future of the world. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the language here, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we're praying that. Every time we pray, we know that's coming. Lord, let your reign come to my life would be one, in, one level of that whenever we're praying. But the, the greater level is that, Lord, we know that you're coming your kingdom is coming, and I want to be part of that now, and I want to be part of it when it comes. I want to live for you as my king and for your kingdom. And the question arises, are you going to be part of the kingdom of God?
And of course, uh, Jesus said to that very religious man, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't be part of that kingdom. And Nicodemus is uh, the Jewish leader. said, what, born again? What am I doing? supposed to go back in my mother's womb a second time? I mean, he had zero understanding of what this meant. And, and Jesus said, unless a man is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot be part of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I say to you, you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? Well, born the, the born of the water, he goes on to tell us, as he re- t- tells us that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Born of the water is having a birth of your mother's womb. We've all been born of the water. But have you been born of the Spirit? Have you had a spiritual birth? Are you a new creation? Old things have passed away. All things brand new. Jesus is your king. If that's happened, then you're going to be part of the kingdom. You're part of the kingdom now. Christ is your king now. He's reigning now. And every time you pray this, it's true for you. Your kingdom come. And maybe you can just think on that if that's happened for you yet. If you've been born of God and you're part of the kingdom. And we're to pray, not only your kingdom come, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Prayer. We're going to be praying all next week. Prayer is wanting his will to be done on earth. Not trying to get my will done in heaven. So as we pray, that's the posture. Lord, I want your will to be done. I'm asking this. For, to me, it seems like you should do this. I really want to see you do this. Can't you do this now, Lord? And oh, I'm crying out to you and I'm crying out to you. Well, wait a minute. In the end, Lord, I want your will to be done. That's what I'm yielding to. Your timing. You know, it is amazing whenever God has us waiting, that is the great place of sanctification that God deals with us, shapes us, has his way with us. God knows what he's doing by waiting at times when we want him to move. And so we pray your will be done. And Luke eleven three, give us... Day by day, Luke's gospel a little different than Matthew's gospel. That the way that we're used to praying it. Give us this day our daily bread. And I think here Jesus is showing us, this isn't like, these aren't magical words that you have to pray exactly like the, the same every single time. There's really no power in saying 10 our fathers. Right? The, the power is in our father, your Our Father, you're in heaven. My eyes are on you. And if you could memorize this prayer, you could spend beautiful, quality, quantity time with God just going through this in your mind. You're my Father. You're such a good Father. Oh, Lord, I look to you. Holy is your name. Oh, Lord, your kingdom. I just pray that for where I work, for my kids, for my family, for this person. You know, you could just work through this prayer if you would memorize it. And so we read here, give us, and we're back to the community. It's not give me. I didn't see this for years and years. I mean, it's, it's all about me. That's the only way I can read it. I need daily bread. I need help, Lord. I need provision. Well, Lord, Lord as he opens your eyes, you see it's give us. It's community. It's community that prays together is where provision comes from. Yeah. There's provision when you pray alone, but 
There's something so beautiful about being part of a community and being in need and always learning to pray together. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And what do do we have going on? We have a whole week that is going to be so powerful because we're going to do this very thing. Instead of being all alone and isolated and separate, we're all going to be in circles and praying together and lifting each other up just like Jesus taught us. Give us this day. And we want to notice what we learn about prayer here once the word daily is introduced. Bread speaks of provision. And I don't know where that comes from where people think it's wrong to pray for your own needs. Isn't that wrong? People always think, of course not. Yes, you should be others-centered and pray for others, but whatever your need is, whatever provision you need, whether it's a test or an interview or a job or an apartment or a car, or God wants you to live your life in such a way that you're always asking him for everything. But, but the community aspect, being in a community where you're lifting each other's needs up, that's the, the beauty of what this prayer teaches. But daily introduces this whole prayer is to be daily. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. It's, it's daily, every day of your life. You want to learn to lift your eyes to heaven, talk to your Father, Every day of your life, you want to be kingdom-focused and kingdom-coming. It's it's daily, every day of your life, whatever need, whatever needs others have. You know what? Um, One of my memories of being a a brand-new disciple in Jesus, and I didn't know anything. And, you know, I never read a book before I got saved because I hated reading. So I certainly didn't know anything about the Bible when I got saved, But you know what God nudged on me? He said, Rob, just start being the person that always says, hey, let's pray. Hey, let's all join hands and pray. Hey, we're about to all leave, let's pray. Hey, they have that need, let's all pray. And God just gave me my place in the body. I was the person that would always say, hey, let's pray. Hey, wait a minute, before we go in the pool, they were just sharing, tomorrow they have this, let's let's all stop and pray. Hey, before we leave the beach, let's all pray. And you know what's kind of funny is all these years later, and I'm still, I'm still the same person. I just get to be the person saying, hey, let's pray. And so prayers to be daily, every day of our lives. Think of this prayer. Go back to this prayer. Memorize it. Every opportunity you get to be in community and with others. Don't let people leave your house when you have believers over without praying. Don't leave the little circle that you were in that was so sweet or the fellowship or the day of skiing or the time over walking on the coast or whatever without praying. Always be the one in the day that says, hey, let's, let's pray. And then we read in verse 4, and forgive us our sins. So how often do we need to pray that? You got That's a question. If it's a daily prayer... And there's sin going on. You know, when you're newly saved, it's the really big rocks God's dealing with. You know, maybe the murder and adultery and, you know, whatever these, these really big sins are. But the longer you walk with God, he's just, he just keeps working on smaller and smaller and smaller. All the way down to your motives and the attitude of your heart. You're just like, oh, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> I can't believe I acted like that. 
And it's daily that we walk with God and walk in his provision for us. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone. How often is that? And what happens when you don't forgive people daily? That's called unforgiveness. That leads to bitterness. God wants you to forgive people. In one of the other gospels, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And, you know, that that must have sounded like, wow, that is being gracious. And the Lord said, no, 70 times seven So I'm going to count to 490. No, you just forgive and 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 forgive forgive till you're just a forgiving person. And people wrong you and you just say, I forgive you. People say the most horrible things and treat you in the most horrible ways. And you say, you know what? It's okay. I forgive you. It's just right there. Every day I'm willing because the Lord forgives me every day. And let's look at a couple passages. Look how powerful this one is. I didn't know this one until a couple years ago. And when I say that, you know, we can only take in so much. But whenever you stand praying, we're going to do a lot of standing praying this next week. Whenever you stand praying, it doesn't really matter the posture, sitting, kneeling, standing. It's the heart that is the most important. See, But here, whenever you stand praying, if you have... Boy, how could you be clearer than that? If you have anything against anyone, do you have anything against anyone? Well, you've got to forgive them or you're going to live in unforgiveness. You're going to live in bitterness. I I heard an illustration years ago that describes unforgiveness and bitterness It's like somebody that's hurt you and you're not willing to forgive them. So you reach into the bucket of pool acid and they've hurt you so bad. You hold that pool acid and you know what they deserve? When I get the chance, that pool acid is going right in their face so they can burn the way they burn me. And you know what ends up happening to you is you hold that pool acid in your hand. It just eats you alive. We forgive, Jesus teaches us. Daily we forgive. If you have anything against anyone, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trusses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And Matthew and Mark both focus on that. You know, uh, unforgiveness... For the sound guys, back up to the Mark eleven twenty five. Unforgiveness is a drag on our soul. Can we bring that up? I don't know where this has come from, where this language came from, but it's from my heart. Unforgiveness just is a drag on your soul. Just, just leeches the life out of you. Look, look at another passage. In the, the next two passages, a lot of Christians get mixed up. Listen, as we're talking about this forgiving one another, look at Matthew 5.23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, right, coming to offer yourself to God, coming to the week of prayer and fasting, God, I'm all yours, or, you know, coming to the communion table, I'm all yours, and there you remember 
that your brother has something against you. Then you're to leave your gift. Don't, don't take communion. Don't, don't come to the altar. You've got to stop drawing near to God the way you're drawing near, and you need to go your way and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now let's go back, a slide back where it says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, what it doesn't say, if you remember that you have something against your brother. That's not what it says. Hey, I just had to come to you, Joseph. I was going to take communion, but I just have to tell you, it's been in my heart. I've just hated you. I've actually been disgusted with you. Every, every time I see you, I just think how prideful, how arrogant you are. And, you know, before I could come to the altar, I just had to go to you and get right with you because it was in my heart. Can't tell you how many times that's happened to me and how many times Christians think they're doing the right thing by going to someone. I mean, it just leaves you leveled. Well, oh, well thank you. I'm, I'm so... I'm so so glad you're able to go to the altar now. You know, bless you. You know, that's not what it says. And, and again, it's never out of ill will that people do the wrong things, what they just do. It says, if you remember that your brother has something, as you, you know what, I've hurt them. You know what, I'm not right with them. I need, to, I need to go and get right with them. And we'll put it up again, being not only unforgiveness, being unreconciled, is a drag on, and if you put drag on together, you get the dragon. I think that's true too. The dragon is dragging your soul down. The enemy is dragging your soul down. Being unreconciled is a drag on your soul. Let's look at another passage. Again, these three, so often people in church, and, and to be really honest with you, I've been in ministry, I don't know what it is now, 34, five years. I'm, I still do the wrong thing, but I have the right heart. I'm trying to, it's because I care, but I don't do it biblically. Look at the other passage, people get confused. Moreover, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, all in the context of asking God to forgive you and forgiving those who sin against you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I think I better talk to my wife about what's happened to me. It's not what it says. I think I'll go to house church and I'll get two of, you know, these are really godly people I've been sinned against and I'll let them know how he sinned against me and they can pray for me. And no, you're slandering this person. By going to others, you're now filling their minds with this sin before you've given the person a chance to repent. Hey, I'll go to the church. I'll get several of the elders. We'll all sit down. I'll make sure they all know. I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Then I'll No, if you're the elder listening, the first question should be, have you gone to the individual alone? Oh, no, wait, I, I'm sorry. I can't listen anymore because you haven't gone to them alone. That would then slander me, and I'm never going to hear how it gets worked out. I, I'm sorry. you got to stop. You need to go to them alone. Whether you're an elder or a caring church member, they did what? You know, and, and there's the really spiritual caring part of us. It's like, okay, you, you can tell me. I'll, I'll help you. And then there's the, the fleshly part of you like, wow, well, tell me those details. What happened? 
And it should be that you're saying, the first question, have you gone to them alone? And look what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Can't tell you how many times I've sat with well-meaning people and I get drawn into about how we're going to solve the solution before finally God convicts me. I did it again. I'm listening and all drawn in and we're going to get a solution. And I didn't tell the person to go to them alone. I'm the one in error for listening. We don't learn this all at once. Even though you're going to know it from this point out, you'll struggle with it the rest of your life. And look what it says even more. Again, we just don't practice this correctly in the church. And the result is people get hurt. Churches hurt people. And probably not because they mean to, but just, I, I, I feel it in my heart. I got to go to you and tell you, and boy, you've been so arrogant. I just got to tell you, I hate you. And oh, I'm trying to do what's biblical. That's the wrong thing to do. Look what it says on. Go to him alone. This is so powerful. And I, I think this is where churches fail the most, is this next sentence. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. So this speaks of the demeanor that you're going with. This speaks of the heart you're going with. This speaks of the attitude. You're not going so they can feel, they can feel what they've done to you. They're, you're not going so they can get a taste of how they've hurt you. You're not going in anger. You're not going accusatory. You're not going with a list. You want to gain your brother. That's your whole purpose in going to them. Hey, you've sinned against me, and I love you. I want this time to end that I've gained you. I've already forgiven you. Right? There's a huge difference between going in anger. It's never going to turn out well. There's a huge difference in going that, you know, you're going to be the Holy Spirit, and they're going to see their sin. But by the way, we're not very good at being the Holy Spirit. And he's really good when we just humbly love and forgive and just wanted to gain you. There was a, another minister in town that um, was slandering me, and I just went to his house, his office. I knocked on the door. Secretary took me in, and I just said, hey, um, this person says you said this about me. And the pastor had been here many, many years. He says, I did say that, and I am so, so sorry. Thank you for coming to me directly. You are the bigger man. We hugged, we embraced. The rest of his tenor here in ministry, he always loved me and reached out to me. That we go to gain our brother. So we'll read on. We don't, I mean, every one of these could have been an entire study, but we'll just stay with the flow of going through the whole prayer this morning. But I would say this. Uh, this month, let's get right with anyone we're not right with. Right? If you have something against someone, forgive them. If you remember someone's not right with you, go to them. Right? If somebody sinned against you, go to them alone. And your whole countenance is, I'm here to gain you. Well, you can read on in the instruction if the person is arrogant or proud or won't listen or won't be gained. But most of the time, it never goes anywhere good because of the way that they come. It's not to gain. 
It's in anger. It's in disappointment. It's in frustration. It's in list keeping and, and all the rest. Well, let's read on verse 4. And do not lead us into temptation, or it could be translated, keep us from t- temptation. Lord, would you just keep me from... Uh, temptation is solicitation to do evil, to listen to things that are evil. And I know it's evil, but oh, it's so entertaining. Lord, to, to watch things that are evil, but... Oh, the plot is just so good. It's evil, but oh, I just, it's history. It's history, and I just, I love history. And oh, Lord, would you keep me from the solicitation to do what's evil in my business, contractually, legally, whatever it might be, whatever the solicitation is to our soul. You just, and how often are you praying this? Well, it's pretty much every day of our lives we're being solicited to do evil. And so it's every day, whatever you're struggling with, pray. You're in a community. Do not lead us. And you're open to your community. Look at this verse. It goes along with it. And we're just about finished here. 2 Timothy 2.22, if you don't know it, it's a beautiful community verse. Flee also youthful lusts. Flee, get as far away as you can. Pursue righteousness. Just, I want to do what's right. Faith, love, peace. Here's the community. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Hey, if you're not in community here, get in a house church. If you're not in a community, start serving. Get part of a team. Get in community that you're around those who are also calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. And then last of all, but deliver us from the evil one. He's also, Jesus called him the tempter. He's always tempting us, soliciting us to do what we know the right thing is to do, but we do the wrong thing. No one sees. No one knows. This is so little. And there's always a solicitation to our soul to to do the wrong thing. And sometimes it's spiritual warfare and we're to be aware of that. We're not, I guess you could say this is the last verse here. These are the last words of what we're going to study. I guess you could say spiritual warfare is real daily for the believer. And don't be ignorant of the spiritual realm. We don't see the devil behind every bush. Right, every argument I have with my wife is not a demon that that is harassing me. A lot of times it's just the flesh. But daily we're aware that there's a spiritual battle for our soul. How are we victorious over the devil? Well, just a few things in closing. Jesus taught us, and I, I pointed out because it goes along with our week, Jesus taught us that the devil was defeated when he fasted 40 days. So we're his disciples. Jesus taught us the devil was defeated. They told the disciples by fasting and prayer. So we we understand part of the praying, Lord, deliver us as a community. We fast and pray together. Uh, In Luke 4 and Matthew 4, we saw that it's the word of God that spells the devil's defeat. If you know those two passages, Jesus uh, constantly quoted, pulling out the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And just over and over, defeating the attack coming against them. And later, the apostle John would say, I write to you, young men, 
because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. First John 2, I don't know the verse, somewhere in there. But how, do we, how are we delivered? Fasting, the word of God and prayer. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. It's prayer, prayer with one another. Go back to our last verse, pull it up. Verse four, deliver us. It's praying with one another. It's praying for one another. You know, this whole week we're going to be in circles, just person after person taking the middle chair, and we're just going to pray over each other and pray for each other. And again, this is what Jesus taught us, exactly this concept, deliver us from the evil one. And the last thing I would say is, um, and let's have the worship team come back up. You know, a lot of times what's going on in our lives is the warfare we're uh, going through, we're on the defensive. If, if you haven't found this, I know Susie and I over the years, like all of a sudden, we'll, you know, I'll just be like, oh my gosh, our marriage is under attack. We need to pray. Oh my gosh, our, it's been like four days. You know, it's so convicting when it takes you like four or six or eight days to go, we're under attack. We need to pray. And, and a lot of times we're on the offensive and we're fighting off and we're standing and having done all to stand, Paul says you stand and shield up and helmet on and truth wrapped around you and feet shod. But you know what? This week we're going on the offensive. Don't think it's strange that there's going to be spiritual opposition to you being part of this, your family being part of it, you choosing to step into an offensive maneuver forward for the kingdom. It's a powerful, powerful week. It's one of the most powerful weeks of the year that we take ground as a church. I hope you'll be part of it. I hope if you weren't planning on being part of it, you'll, you'll be part of it. Hope you'll be here when we're celebrating the 28 years on the 28th. I hope you'll get to experience those mornings of all the young people and generations praying together. I hope you'll be part of the hundreds that'll be here praying every night. Let's, let's stop here. And let's stand up this morning.